This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Abner Merez is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Maris, we'll hear from the Abner family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. They chat about topics like state of boxing, sports, music, culture, and family life. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Maris wherever you get your podcast. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan and we are coming to you on Monday, October 19th. The World Series is set. It will feature the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Rays. As you may have noticed, that does not include then the Chicago Cubs, which is the team that this podcast is about. So we are talking about an offseason that hasn't really started yet, which as we've told you guys is always like really super fun. But as we did last week, we talked a little bit about the pitching to kind of set the stage for the offseason, a little bit about how they performed in 2020, and then looking ahead to some expectations and just general thoughts for 2021. And today we will do the same with the offense. And I promise, I know, uh, I, I assume, especially with everything going on in the world, that the last thing you guys need is <laughs> to hear more about the Cubs offense. But we're not going to spend too much time uh, maligning the offense or talking about uh, its its poor performance. This is more looking at the players on an individual level and kind of taking a look at how we felt about 2020, either their growth or lack thereof, what to make of 2020, which is obviously a topic that we've talked about a lot because it was only 60 games, it was a late start, there were no fans, etc., etc., and then looking ahead to 2021 into what the Cubs might do, what their plan might be, and, you know, some of the things that we'll be looking for. So that is the plan. Uh, and really, with with very little going on, I don't even have a pithy opener to throw to you, Brendan. So I, I will just ask you how you're doing. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm ready to hate watch the Dodgers, though, Corey. So, I mean, like the World Series, I was going for the Braves, wanted that Tampa Bay-Atlanta matchup. But there, it, there is a degree of interest when you always have to hate watch. So go Tampa. I am obviously with you on that. You guys uh, who have listened to us for a long enough time know our stance on the Los Angeles Dodgers, but even if they do win, this isn't a real title, and it's a sham of a season. So good luck to either team. 
anyway, getting into the meat of it, I guess. I guess we can just jump right into this. Um, obviously, the offense was the, I think, main talking point of this team in 2020. Uh, had some stretches where it looked really nice, had some nice performances from some of these guys overall, uh, but ultimately it was their undoing, and it has been their undoing in the last few seasons. Uh, so there's a lot of variables to look at here. Obviously, uh, there's still some decisions that need to be made going forward, uh, thinking about things like whether the DH is going to be something that was only for the shortened season or if that's sticking in the future, this playoff system, uh, things of that nature. So some of those discussions obviously uh, will take place in this offseason, and we'll see where all of that lands out. Uh, but as we've seen over the last few years, the, the game is changing. Uh, there's changes being made to the game of baseball and the, the structure of it all, which is true, you know, really all the time, but uh, in particular, you know, these last few years. So those are things to pay attention to. And then obviously the payroll stuff. And I know that people don't want to hear about the payroll stuff, especially in the middle of a pandemic where a lot of people have lost their jobs and stuff like that. Um, I don't think anyone is interested in hearing about how the poor Ricketts family lost uh, some money and, you know, their revenues were cut, so they're not going to spend yada, yada. We don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know how that's going to go, but it is the reality of the situation. And, you know, we've heard from some of these other members uh, in baseball. I think it was Rick Hahn from the White Sox talking about just the multi-billion dollar loss uh, that has gone on for these teams around baseball. So that all is going to come into play. It's going to be a very, it's, it's been a very unique season in 2020, and it's going to be perhaps an even more unique off-season because you're going to be coming off the heels of this unprecedented season, and you're likely going to be wading into somewhat of an unknown as it relates to 2021. So uh, one thing I would say is that we have seen in the NLCS and now we'll see in the World Series uh, that they have been able to have fans at these games. Uh, it looks like from the shots, you know, there there's obviously a good bit of distance. It seems to be maybe, I don't know the exact number, like a quarter full, a, you know, a fifth full, something along those lines. Um, everybody's wearing masks. And as far as I can tell, there have not been any problems. So I think that bodes well. I know, um, you know, we've heard from the Cubs, uh, I think publicly and, you know, also in some communications with, uh, season ticket holders that their plan is to use this time until next season to figure out a way to get some people in there. I don't think they know how many, and the world could look very different by then, but that is the plan. Uh, So it's all just to say there's a lot of interesting factors going on here, and uh, the landscape of all of this can change pretty quickly, right? Um, Just as we're all kind of trying to figure out you know, the real world stuff, it, it translates to baseball and, and we're kind of going to have to be flexible in how we, we view these things. So that's kind of the, the, the background I want to paint. Um, because I think as much as a lot of that is unknown and as much as a lot of us, you know, probably don't really care about some of it, you know, like I said, with the financials and stuff like that, it is going to affect things. So I think it's better to just get that out of the way and understand that there's going to be some new variables that we're going to going to be dealing with here uh, going forward. But as it relates to the Chicago Cubs offense, 
there are, I think, uh, a few ways that we want to attack this. I think there's a couple guys we want to look at their 2020 and really highlight what they did and, and you know, what that, what that bodes for for the future. There's a group of guys that I think you guys already know of that you're getting to the point this is going to be their last season before you're going to have to decide either to extend them, let them ride out their contract and hit free agency, or trade them prior to that and try to get something for them. Uh, so there's there's that group of guys. And, you know, then there's a group of guys who, you know, have kind of an unknown spot, you know, more of a what what do you envision for them in, in 2021 kind of thing. And then obviously there's free agents and potentials for trades and, and stuff like that. But where I want to start, Brendan, is a question that we have talked about a good bit on this podcast. Uh, And I don't know if we have exactly answered it from our personal opinion, right? I can't answer this question for Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer and really any general manager or uh, president across baseball. But it's something we've talked about. And from a personal level, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on how you are approaching evaluating the 2020 season, right? And Theo has said that, you know, it's it's going to be very hard to derive too much meaning from what we've seen here and to be positive of trends and performances and things like that. We've mentioned all the time that Javi in particular, who, you know, ended up at the bottom of the league in terms of offensive production numbers, was not alone in being a big name near the bottom of that list, right? Christian Yelich, J.D. Martinez, uh, you know, I think he he picked it up at times, but Cody Bellinger did not have an MVP level season. So there's a lot of guys who their performance was all over the place. But for you personally, Brendan, when you're looking at this Cubs roster and you're looking at free agents and and trying to figure out what you want to do here, because whether it's a clear answer or not, you do have to make some decisions, obviously, on a lot of these guys pretty quickly, uh, not just for 2021, but beyond. How are you contextualizing the short season, the lack of fans, things like the lack of in-game technology for the players in the dugout, like Javi's talked about, all those new factors. How are you figuring all of this out? Unfortunately, they lost a year, right? So even if you don't weigh COVID as a normal season, it's the absence of another year, of another data point to evaluate. So now you're going into uh, a free agent year for Schwarber, for Anthony Rizzo, for Chris Bryant, Javi Baez. And it is hard to use COVID as a benchmark, and you still use years past data, but even even those seasons are volatile. So it's, it's hard to be comfortable really with a, a lot of these guys on this team sans Anthony Rizzo at this point. So it is difficult. And in the COVID season, a lot of the numbers that we value, like power or slogging percentage or weighted on base average, they're not going to meet the statistical thresholds for stabilization, for reliability, right? So you have to use like your eye test. You have to use what you think is accurate, what is representative of their skill set going forward. And there's two ways to look at this. You can look at 2021 as a one-year window, and you can maximize this current group and go all out. The second way 
is you can use what we've seen in 2020 and years past and try to figure out who should we extend. Should we extend Schwarber over Javi? Should we extend KB over Schwarber? And so on and so on and so on. That's difficult right now. And so to your point, what is my perspective? My, my perspective is I've, I've kind of seen what I need to see. And unfortunately, I'm not going to weigh the COVID season significantly, but I am going to weigh the absent season, if you will, significantly, because now I don't know what to think. Now I don't know what to project. And I hate that. You want that comfort knowing that in 2021 and 2022, you're going to have a certain level of offensive production. And right now, you don't see that. You don't see that with Javi. You don't see that with Schwarber. Chris Bryant, the injuriness of the last three seasons is creating some volatility and it's difficult. But my positioning now is what we have as an offensive unit has to be changed, but the pieces are still in line where you can be competitive in 2021. I really do believe that. It's just finding the right mix and matches to supplement some of the some of the good hitters on this team and diversify some of the rest of the hitters with different approaches who may have more success against pitchers who in the last four seasons have just dominated the entire Cubs lineup. So I think I think it's possible. I think it's an incredible challenge that might be the biggest challenge in Theo's tenure yet before he even, you know, started this competitive window in 2015. I think this might be the most challenging one yet. I don't know what the solutions are. There's so many free agents. There's so many trade possibilities. You have the pandemic and the and the payroll issues with uh, the Ricketts and the rest of the league. There's a lot of unknowns, man. And I think that's kind of where I'm at. I'm kind of just sitting back and waiting for the first few dominoes to fall. And then I can react and change my opinions. But, but right now, not having a real season is a big issue for me because I'm in a state of limbo right now. And I don't really know where to go, uh, to be honest with you, Corey. 60-game season and figuring out how to evaluate all of this stuff is... Nearly impossible. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's nearly impossible. It's, it, and it's it's one of those things where you can't throw it in the garbage, right? right. Like, I, I have seen some people, you know, kind of get closer to adopting that attitude of you know, kind of like understanding all of these variables and just kind of being like, you know, this is so weird and like uh, likely to be unlike any other season we have going but forward. But you can't even ignore what Javi did though, right? Like that's the thing. It's like, it's right, so that's extreme. what I'm getting at. Yeah. It's like, I understand all that, but you can't throw it in the garbage completely. So I think it has to inform your thinking somewhat going forward. But I do think that so much of it was so out there and like so drastic for some of these guys right yeah. and you know like maybe if if someone like Javi were the only star player that had struggled like maybe you might approach that differently but just the fact that there were so many guys who just didn't align with their career performances I, I think you have to give some credence to the idea that this is an outlier, right? Again, you can't throw it away completely, and and it should inform things, right? But I, I think the danger is putting too much stock in this, 
right? Like I, I, I just don't, I think if you're looking at this past season and you're of the mindset that Javi is just not a good hitter, I obviously don't agree with that, right? Um, you can't throw these games away. They did play these games, right? He was the worst qualified hitter, but you've got such a larger sample size of that not being really anywhere close to the reality, yeah. right? So I think you have to defer to that when you're you're going forward here. Um, and I know that, you know, again, like things might not be back to normal completely in 2021, but I would expect them to be a lot closer, right? Um, Let me throw a question to you, that kind of Like with, with Javi's extreme underperformance, the worst qualified hitter in the league, the the way that you see him going forward, in my eyes, you still, and not saying you are, but you know some people do. They they do ignore what he what he did, and they shove it off as COVID related, which to some degree is is probably a partially truth. And you look at around the league, like a Christian Yelich who struggled as well. But for Javi specifically, not even including other players, we've seen how he has struggled in years past, and how scouting reports have adjusted to Javi. And to your point, Corey. We know Javi's not this bad, right? But do we know that he's as good as he was in 2018 and during the first half of 2019? Or is this going to be trending towards a new normal for Javi? Is this new type of way to get him out now going to make him a league average offensive producer that at times is going off killer hot streaks like Alfonso Soriano, for example? Um, If he's Soriano, I'm, I'm all for it, by the way. That'd be amazing. But the point being is despite COVID affecting so many players, I still think you have to look at it at an individual basis and question, hey, is this Javi's, is is Javi trending towards this type of offensive production where he is going to struggle immensely against certain pitchers and as a result, he's not going to be the 2018 and partially the 2019 that we saw. I think the key is you just can't throw this in the garbage, Yeah. right? Like there, there were trends as you're alluding to in terms of how he was pitched to the adjustments that you know pitchers were making and, and teams were making and that he wasn't making that you can't just throw out the window right and because of the nature of all of this right the fact that you're going to be thinking about contracts you're talking about millions of dollars you're talking about long-term planning you have to factor some of these things in you just have to you know, uh, this is the season that they played. This is the year of baseball that we got, and I think you have to keep these things in mind. So it's again, it's 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 all at least for me, all just to say that you can't completely throw away what happened in 2020. I think you can understand that it was unique, understand that it may not represent a lot going forward, and that obviously it was a hundred and two games less than your normal sample, right? There are plenty of guys, even on this team, if you cut off even their best season at 60 games, it wouldn't look like they're, it did at the end of it, right? So we get all that. But you have to, I think, be able to acknowledge that 2020 happened and that some of this stuff does matter, right? Uh, so threading that needle is not our job it's Theo Epstein's job and it's going to be a hard one uh but 
I think that that's where I would land on kind of looking back at 2020. Like, I'm not using it as a definitive conclusion for any of you, any of these guys, right? But you can't ignore it yeah. either all the same. Yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, again, like Javi is just the best example of that because his performance was the most drastic change, right? So I think that's why we end up kind of focusing on him. There's, there's plenty of guys, as we've talked about a lot, that did not perform at the level you were expecting them to or hoping them to or at their career norm. Javi's was just the most extreme. So I, I think that it's, uh, I think that's why you land there. But let's, let's take a look at uh, a couple things that, you know, and we've highlighted this a lot, uh, but a couple, you know, the, one of the places that I want to start, uh, especially this is a unique off season where, you know, you kind of feel, as we talked about, we're not really sure what the direction of this team is and, and what that path forward is ultimately going to be, uh, in, just in terms of like roster construction. Uh, but one of the things that I think is, is worth highlighting. And as always, I offer the context that the Cubs division at the moment is really bad. Uh, so let's keep that in mind, is Ian Happ and Jason Hayward in particular had really nice seasons here in in 2020. Happ struggled towards the end there, uh, kind of directly in line with that ball that he took off the eye in Pittsburgh. Um, But, you know, he was a legit MVP contender for a a good part of this 2020 season. Uh, He obviously showed up in those games against the Marlins, you know, hitting a home run and being a guy that, you know, was providing some offense and, you know, literally all of the offense. Um, And Jason Hayward with, uh, again, another sort of positive step in his reclamation, I guess, from from when he signed with the Cubs and had a, a really good season. You know, you look at the overall lines for these guys. Happ had a 369 Woba and a 131 WRC plus. Hayward had a 368 and a 130. Uh, those are good numbers, and those are going to be guys that you have in your outfield uh, for a good bit of time here. So I think that while you can focus on some of the the bad or the things that you're wondering about in a more negative light, I guess. It's good to focus on the positive. And I'll also say, you know, you can use that same logic for some of the negative guys, right? Like, you don't have to take what Ian Happ did in this season or what Hayward did in this season and just assume, oh, okay, well, you know, that's the new normal or that's where they are. It's it's the same as the guys who didn't perform as well. It was only 60 games, Right. But I think given the trajectory that Hap had been on, uh, even prior to being sent down to start the 2019 season, you know, when he was sent down there, he already had a career OPS that was 800. So he had already had some success. They were just trying to plug some holes. And he's been able to do that since he came up in 2019 and then obviously what we saw in 2020. And with Hayward too, Hayward is a guy who the, 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 trajectory has been upward over his time with the Cubs. It's it's taken a while for some of those mechanical changes, stuff with his wrist, all that to you know maybe come full circle, but we've been seeing those results not just in 2020. The, him hitting the ball hard and and putting good exit velo and going the other way and starting to hit more home runs, etc. Like that stuff has been trending the right direction for years now. So I I think it's it's fair to kind of wonder, okay, well, if it was good for 60 games, we can't just 
you know, take that, right, and run with it if we're not going to do the same with the negative. I think there's a balance there, but I think with these two guys in particular, they had nice seasons. You've got them, you know, with the team for a while here going forward, and a lot of what we saw that was good lined up with trends that we had been seeing prior to 2020. There's a danger in over-interpreting and like under-interpreting seasons. And you can make the same argument as you said, Corey. Well, if you're going to talk bad about Avi and Chris Bryant and and Rizzo, well, then you kind of have to still weigh that there was only 60 games for Hayward, Innie, and Hap. But again, it goes back to what, what, what did we see? And what did we see carrying over from 2019? And for Jason Hayward, we, we know the issues with the guy. We've been covering it for five years now. And the wrist issue he's had where he's wrapping the bat... That seems to be fixed, and Evan Altman and other uh, writers who are with uh, national outlets have mentioned this, where he's developed this way to not wrap his wrist by like playing the flute on his bat, and what we saw lined up with a lot of the results, where one, he's pulling the ball at a 50% rate, that's up 9 percentage points from last year. His exit velo is really good in the upper 75% of Major League Baseball. And he's taking pitches. He's taking quality pitches, and he was walking in double-digit rates last year. So that that all, to me, signals, hey, he's, he's making changes, and these are long-lasting changes. Now, is Hayward a 370 weighted on base average guy? I don't know. But I think if these changes continue, I don't think it's nuts to think that he can be a 330, 340 weighted on base average guy, slightly above average in the offensive category. And for for right now, it's kind of funny to say, but for right now, what he's being paid, that's the market value for Hayward's production. You know, above average defense, a slightly above average offense. That's the going rate for that type of player. For Hap... It's the same type of trajectory. It's different from Hayward's, but for Hap, he went down to AAA in 2019. He worked on some issues. He kind of simplified his swing. And Hap, like Hayward, all of his expected numbers align with what he actually produced. Hap, according to Baseball Savant, had an exit velo greater than 84% of the league. He had a hard hit rate greater than 90% of the league. His expected weighted on base average greater than 80% of the league. And not all lines up with what we saw. And the one, the one thing I like about what Hap did this year is when he transitioned to the leadoff role, his approach did not really change that much. He was still taking a lot of pitches, still walking at double-digit rates, and the production that we wanted from the leadoff spot was fulfilled by Ian Hap. And there is, to, to me, like something valuable there that he was able to adapt within this season, in addition to adapting before the season, working on stuff in spring training and working on stuff when he got called up in 2019. So I don't think you should ignore those. Now, statistics and all of our stabilization stuff, like, yeah, it's not going to line up, right? Like these plate appearance sample sizes are too short, but you still have to have a degree of confidence with some of the underlying peripherals and some of the underlying, uh, observations that we've seen that line up with what we've heard, they are changing. And they do that for both Hap and they do that for both Hayward. And personally, as like as a fan going into next year, I'm excited to see them, 
even have a bigger role if, if they can. I know Hap and Hayward became staples, but I wouldn't mind giving them even more crucial higher leverage at-bats and keeping Ian Happ in that leadoff spot to start 2021. I would have no issue with that. And likewise with Hayward, if he continues to, to bat like this, which, again, I'm not saying he's a 370 Woba guy, but that type of portfolio does play well at the top of the lineup, perhaps in addition to Ian Happ. And we saw what... Ben Zobaris was able to do with a similar type of portfolio, and he batted cleanup for the majority of his uh, Cubs career when they when they were competitive. So I'm excited to watch those two guys play. I don't think that we're going to expect them to be the top producers for this team going forward, but at the same time, you can't ignore what they did. You can't ignore the changes they've talked about, that the coaches have talked about, and I'm excited to see what they can do going forward. Even though sports had a break, your business did not. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates that you will see fast. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Try Indeed out with, again, a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Terms and conditions apply offer valid through December 31st. The wait is finally over and football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. And don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's blue wire, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. You know, I don't know if they view Hap as that leadoff man long term. I, you know, we, that'll probably be something they they look at again this off season. But I, I think he's got the right profile for it. And you know, again, like when he made the switch there, uh, he succeeded yeah, in, in the, right away. In that initial switch. It really didn't seem to throw him no off. Obviously, the league. Yeah made some adjustments to him and you know uh again like I don't want to blame everything on that ball that he took off the eye but the the number changes that he saw really lined up with when that happened um he came back I think it was the next game and hit a home run maybe uh 2020s already a blur <laughs> know, right? even though it just happened <laughs> but it, whenever he came back he hit a home run but then you know the the number downtrend that you saw kind of coincided with that. Again, I, I don't want to blame that, but it's a little coincidental, right? Um, all that's just to say that I don't think I don't think that being in the leadoff spot changed him. 
I don't think that 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 change or that role was too big for him or that he was overthinking it or anything like that. I I think he he can be that right guy for that. I I don't know what their plan is there, but I, I have certainly no problem sort of slotting him in there. Um, but yeah, just wanted to highlight a couple guys that did uh, have a nice season in 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 2020. Now, was you was you rely on Hayward as like your everyday starting right fielder next year? Are you comfortable saying that, or you still want like a supplement just in case? Well, I mean, I think that I liked their initial plan, you know, that they had with Souza uh, to bring him in and you know kind of platoon that a little bit yeah. more. Um, I, I think that Hayward, especially with the, you know, improvement that he showed in 2020, especially like, I think he's earned, uh, getting the majority of that time. We know the defense that he's going to bring and the base running that he's going to bring. Uh, so I, I, I don't know that I would necessarily be looking for uh, an even split of, of playing time, but I do like the idea of having someone who you can get in there against some of those left-handed pitchers that, you know, maybe present a, a tougher matchup to Hayward, uh, you know, rather than booking him for, you know, 150 starts or whatever it is. So I, I think, you know, maybe they don't have to go, because it, it, coming into this season, it seemed like they were more intent on doing kind of a straight yeah. platoon. Um, I, I don't know that they have to do that. I, I think Hayward has has shown the improvements. He's made the adjustments that uh, maybe you don't have to go uh, an even split, but I, I, I think like a 70, 30, you know, having maybe, that 80, depth 20, in the outfield yeah. position that you can give him those days off, those starts off throughout the week based on matchups and you're confident in the, the guy you're putting out there, um, I think is a good place to be. Uh, I know that's a pretty low bar, but you know, we've seen, <laughs> we've seen some low bars. So, uh, so let's, transition to we'll we'll let's let's do the kind of obvious the extension guys that kind of group we'll do that towards the end one one guy I want to talk about now uh is Nico Horner Uh, I think he's an interesting guy to see what the Cubs do going to 2021 I also think he's one of those guys who this shortened season this whole thing really not good for him um you know, I think what we had heard kind of going into spring training and kind of leading, you know, in, in this past offseason was that their plan was probably to have him begin the year in Iowa and get some time there, get those everyday reps and, and kind of polish him off a little bit more before bringing him up. Obviously, the shortened season, the COVID situation, the lack of the minor league season, all of that kind of had to change their plans on a dime. And to begin the season in 2020, Ross seemed pretty intent on letting Nico try to be the guy out there, sink or swim for a little bit, mixed in Kipnis. Um, and then that playing time kind of started to dissipate as, as time went on. He struggled. Uh, I think that that's kind of you know, there's there's really no way to sugarcoat that. His numbers were not good uh, from an offensive perspective. I think he was fine from a defensive perspective. Uh, but, you know, especially when Kipnis was hot, they got David Bodie in there a little bit. Uh, we saw Ildemaro Vargas at the towards the end of the season. Um, you know, the playing time kind of got away from Nico. So I think he's going to be one of those guys that's really interesting to see how they approach 
what his what his plan is uh and you know again that's one of those where kind of the unknown nature of what's going to happen in 2021 really makes things pretty curious uh we can offer up our our thoughts but i think in nico in particular uh that's something where unless you're in that front office or in that dugout, I'm not really sure what their vision for the future there is. I think he's one of those guys, obviously, right? Uh, He's 23 years old. He had 126 plate appearances and played in 48 games, right? You're you're doing a major disservice to one of your top prospects and someone who you view as a contributing member of this group for your future— to put too much on that, right? And he's different when we're talking about, you know, how do you evaluate 2020? Like guys like Baez and guys like Hayward, like they've been in the league for a long time, right? We're comparing 2020 to a pretty large sample uh, for some of these guys, obviously to varying degrees. With Nico, that's not really the case. He was brought up uh, in sort of a depth emergency to end the 2019 season, which I don't think anybody really envisioned him playing that role, and I think he handled that pretty admirably. And then his next stint in the majors is this shortened, no-fans, start-stop, spring training, you know, mess of a season. So, I think looking at him, and and I mean, maybe I don't, I assume you agree with this, Brendan, but if you don't, that's fine. Uh, looking at him is different than how you would look at these other guys, because as we've kind of talked about with Nico throughout his time in, in you know, being drafted and just like coming up to the majors, you're trying to balance what you want him to contribute to the team at the moment. This was true in 2019 and in 2020 versus his long-term growth, which you're not really able to prioritize as much in these types of situations, right? Like even in 2020, they they started, that's kind of why I mentioned that when the season started, Ross had kind of penciled him in there quite frequently. It was kind of, I don't want to say his job to lose, but that's certainly how it felt. But then eventually it's 60 games, Jason Kipnis was hot, right? And uh, you kind of got to make a decision there based on trying to win in 2020. So it's a unique spot. So I'll, I'll throw it to you, Brendan. What what did you see from Nico in this 2020 season? And what do you envision the the, the plan for him is uh, going forward in 2021? Well, I don't think you should ignore what happened in 2020 with Nico. But with these small sample sizes, just taking the surface level numbers at face value does not tell the whole story for, for me. And how Nico performed in 2020 for honesty, Corey, most of the season, I was impressed. I know his his end numbers are pretty bad, just to read them off right here. He batted in 126 plate appearances, he batted 222, and he had a 63 WRC plus. Those are bad surface level numbers. But you can see what type of batted ball he or batted ball contact he he made. And Corey, on September 16th, okay, he had an expected WOBA at league average. So a lot of his struggles, a lot of his deflated numbers occurred in the last two weeks of the season. 
You can go back to that time period and try to figure out what the hell was going on. But for the majority of the season, Nico was either at the league average expected weighted on base average mark or pretty far above it. He peaked at the end of August at a 367 expected WOBA. And he was doing that by slamming line drives in those left and right center field gaps. But over the course of the season, at least when I was watching, he, he was getting screwed, man. He was hitting line drives right at those outfielders. Maybe the defensive positioning caught up to him. And that ultimately deflated his overall numbers by year's end. There's another flip to that coin, though. He hit no home runs in 126 plate appearances. And I don't think you should ignore that either. We expected, and when I say we, I mean I, I did expect a little bit more power from Nico. I thought, given what we saw in September of 2019 and some of the changes we heard he was making, I thought maybe some more power would show up. And if there is one disappointing feature of his season, I would say not hitting a home run is probably the biggest one. But from a defensive point of view, one, I think we learned his arm, Corey, really good, really good arm. Two, he can play everywhere. He can play third base, shortstops, uh, second base. He could probably play center field, even though he may not get those opportunities going forward with Ian Happ. But he is someone that I think in total in 2020 is a net positive, despite that bad surface level run value. It's a net positive from a point of view of his batted ball portfolio, his ability to be a utility player in a weird season. And all the all of the coaches, all the players, all of his teammates have raved about the guy. And there was one quote that stood out to me when I was just kind of reviewing Nico's year by Cameron Mabin, who was only on the team just for a few weeks, right? And Cameron Mabin said about Nico, quote, he was always asking questions and that's what's going to make him special. He plays the game the right way. He plays it with a lot of respect and he's got a lot of tools. The biggest thing that I enjoy about Nico thus far is that he's very, very inquisitive, end quote. That lines up with what we heard from his draft days, from his Stanford days, from what David Ross has said. So I think ultimately in the future, at least in 2021, you may not be able to to lock in Nico with 400 plate appearances, but I want to keep the window open, the possibility open for him to, to reach that. And I think given how he makes so much contact, given how he's made a lot of hard hit contacts in 2020 for the majority of the year, I think it's a, a legitimate possibility that he could be a significant uh, contributor in 2021 and, of course, in, in years beyond. So I think it's a net positive. No, a lot of people will disagree, but I think just everything we saw from the majority of the year, I, I, I enjoyed watching him play. I thought a lot of the, the contact was good, was hard. And to me, that signals production, it signals improvement, and it signals that he can adapt and continue to adapt right now. Again, he's he's so young, and uh, I, I think that it's been a very unique start to his career. It's just a, a very strange way to begin your career, to kind of be uh, <laughs> it's you know, rushed, has a negative connotation. Well, Corey, he was injured but... too in, in 2019. He, I think he hurt his hand. He broke his hand or something. So not only has he had a weird major league introduction, but he, he barely played in AAA. Like his development timeline is probably the most bizarre out of any former Cubs prospect. Yeah, so I, I think it was just worth touching on because, you know, obviously it was not the level of production that I think he or any of us were hoping for, but I, I, I just want 
to kind of highlight that he's quite young, and this is a guy who, uh, you know, in 2019 came up at the end of the season in a situation that I don't think anybody expected, and then this 2020 was his uh, first full season, right? And I did air quotes when I said that. Uh, So just something to keep in mind with, you know, someone who is obviously a a big part of the plans going forward here. Uh, But let's, let's get to the you know, the big group, right? Um, And that is obviously Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, and Kyle Schwarber. Uh, These are your guys who come up in 2021, uh, depending on some of the decisions, right? Uh, Option-wise, trade-wise, etc., but you've got to make some decisions on these guys, or at least have a plan in mind as to how you're going to proceed with some of these things. Based on the early talking points, and the season isn't over, and I have, you know, it's very hard to know how much you put any stock in this. Once again, I think Chris Bryant is going to lead the way in terms of trade rumors, right? Um, that just seems to be the way it is. Uh, I'm just, it's, it's not my preference. I'm just telling you in terms of what I read and what's out there as it relates to the Cubs, I think he's going to be the one you're going to hear about the most if they decide to go that route. And that's one of the questions. So it's, it's kind of like you mentioned earlier, Brendan, where you can, just sort of ride this out, ride out 2021, see what happens, uh, and kind of go from there. Um, or you can extend these guys and kind of look at how you want to build the future, or you can start moving them and, and say, you know what, like maybe 2021 isn't as much of the priority as beyond that is. That's going to be something we're going to have to see how that plays out. But with those four guys in particular, decision time is coming, right? So I I think that that's going to be the most important thing that happens throughout this offseason is what do they do? How do they decide to approach those, uh, those guys who are free agents in the 2022 season? Now, I don't know if you have a particular preference Brendan, as to how they go about this. I think obviously one of the things that is a major variable here is we don't know what any of these guys would consider for an extension. We don't know what the Cubs would offer them for an extension. And we also don't know what their actual trade value is at the moment. So that's that's in particular one of the reasons why I, I you you never on this podcast I think if you went back to when we started, which was about four years ago, I think the amount of times that Brendan and I have offered hypothetical trades to you guys, or even really discussed hypothetical trades, is probably zero. Uh, And the reason for that is, is because unless you're in the front office and on the phone with Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer, I don't really care what you think about anybody's trade value. And I mean that. And plenty of people have sources, right? Like stuff gets out, this, that, and the other. But ultimately, the GMs, the presidents, the scouts, these guys in these front offices, they're the ones that decide what the trade value is. 
And so, you know, you have a lot of people right now who are, you know, thinking that, well, maybe Javi's trade value is way down because of his 2020. Is that true? I have no idea. Call somebody with the Atlanta Braves and ask their GM what he thinks of Javi Baez. I don't know, right? It's the same as Chris Bryant. We heard some of the offers that were rumored to be on the table uh, last year in that offseason for Chris Bryant, Austin Riley, who we've seen in the NLCS and throughout the playoffs with the Atlanta Braves, was one of those names that was out there. Max Fried was one of those names that was tossed around there. Was any of that real? Is his value better or worse right now because he had an injury-plagued, you know, poor performance season in 2020? I I couldn't tell you. I really couldn't tell you guys. Uh, So I, I think getting into the hypotheticals is not really a business that we delve into. But I think you have to operate under the assumption that that is at least something that they're going to entertain. I think they're going to field phone calls on, I would think, pretty much anybody. uh, And I think that they might be willing to do anything for pretty much anybody because there's a lot of different directions that this team can go. And I, I think that Theo and Jed have to at least be open to exploring them. So, Brendan, I, I, I'll throw it to you here. Like, do you have a, I don't know, a preference, a vision for these four players in particular, or an expectation? What are we, what are we thinking about this? Because we've been building towards this for a while, and I think most of us kind of expected at least one of them to have gotten an extension by now, right? So that we wouldn't necessarily be wondering about what that direction would be. Uh, But that hasn't happened. So you kind of have question marks with all of these guys, and you do have to kind of answer them, right? Because if you reach, you don't necessarily have to do it this offseason, but if you reach the end of the 2021 season, having not made any decisions on these guys, well, then it's not necessarily your decision to make anymore. Mm -hmm. So these conversations are going to be out there. You're going to hear the rumors. You're going to hear the opinions. It's it's already started, and it's only going to intensify as this offseason goes on. Well, I think it's important to consider that if these guys walk in free agency, and if they have good, productive 2021 years— it's not a lost value for 2022. You get your draft compensation if they go elsewhere, and you still get some value in return that I think sometimes I forget, right? So I think we look at the, the end of the 2021 season, and we're like, oh my God, these guys are gone. We got no value for them. And to, to be honest, it is, a, it is a, pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty surprising thing that where we are, where we're talking about Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber and Javi Baez, neither of them are extended beyond this year. Like that, that, that to me is bizarre. I, I would imagine yeah. two, two or three years ago that we would have at least one of Rizzo or KB locked up by now. Not well, and, and like it's, it's obviously you know sort of a, a frequent bit, I guess, on Cubs Twitter and stuff. You know, extend them, extend them <laughs> yeah. for life, and stuff like that. But there was obviously a tinge of truth to it For always, sure. and they we've gotten none of it. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I think we there was times where we were hoping that all, all four of them would be uh, locked up, and this would all just be kind of settled uh, going forward. Yeah. And and you know here we are, right? Well, I think in 2018 when Javi was going off, and he had KB going off before his injuries, and Rizzo was doing well. It's like all right, let's just lock every, everyone up and get this going. But that clearly has not not been the case. 
to, to be honest, honest with you, Corey, I, I have no idea what, what they're going to do or what they should do. I, I really have zero idea. It's, there's so many possibilities to even consider that my brain just short circuits uh, to, to try to think about it. But where I'm at from a long-term point of view is one way or another, these four guys we're talking about, actually, I would say these these three guys we're talking about. I'm going to take KB. I'm going to take Rizzo out of the equation here. If we're looking at Javi, Schwarber, and even Wilson Contreras, who will be a free agent not for next year, but 2022, they have the same holes. And I've talked about this for two months now, and it's, of course, burned into my brain. But what we saw in 2020, to me, is a microcosm of what we've seen when the Cubs are at their worst. And when they're at their worst, they do not hit fastballs. They do not hit sliders. And in 2020, their weighted run value for sliders and fastballs were both the 25th lowest in baseball. That's unacceptable. That, 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 can't, that just can't happen when you're competing against teams like the Padres who are putting up not negative 13 runs compared to league average, but plus 25 runs against fastballs. This is a fastball league now. Everyone's throwing 95 plus, right? And so when these guys were drafted and developed, the league was completely different back then in 2014, 2015, 2016. Now it's different. So I do wonder, like, can can Javi adjust again? Can Wilson Contreras adjust continuously? And not only that, he's a catcher, right? Catchers don't hit for that long. Their legs give out. It's just nature. It's just nature. And for Schwarber, the ups and downs coincide with an inability to hit some of those fastballs and sliders. So that's where I'm targeting my focus. If it were up to me, I'm giving Rizzo a check right now. His portfolio looks to be one that will age really well because for three reasons. One, Rizzo takes pitches, he does not strike out, and he hits the ball far. Those three predict the most longevity, the most long That's the no-brainer. Yeah, that's the no-brainer, right? And And I mean, you know, we've obviously, everybody knows this, we talked about this, but the role that he plays, the the type of player he is, that's a no-brainer. You gotta lock him up. Just do it. You gotta lock Rizzo up. And this... For, for Rizzo, honestly, Corey, I'm throwing out 2020 out the window. That's the, that's the one guy I'm thinking, like, you know what? Screw it. That that means nothing to me. Chris Bryant, the only concern I have is, is, is his injuries. And I think that I think there is merit, maybe not to the extreme that other fans that we talk to perceive, but I think there is some merit to some of the nagging injuries and the inability to play through them, maybe like some other players can in Chris Bryant's position. I don't know. That's a huge unknown for me. If he's healthy, Chris Bryant's probably the best hitter on this team. I don't think there's any disagreement there. The guy, like Rizzo, takes his pitches, does not strike out that much for a power hitter. And unlike Rizzo, he hits the ball further. So I think for, for Rizzo and KB, there's more knowns there, but the injuries for KB is a big unknown for me. And that's something that we as fans are never going to truly understand. That's going to be within the front office, within the medical staff, within all these biokinesiologists that they're hiring left and right. That's for them to figure out. So I'm focusing on, on Javi. I'm focusing on, on Schwarber. I'm focusing on Contreras. And of the bunch, I look at Schwarber and I see him representing like the the biggest issue for this offense. And I think given the free agent market, given his defensive mishaps going forward, he's been league average, like a little league average for the past few years. That's fine. But you have to consider his age going forward. 
it kind of makes the most sense to at least shop around Schwarber, see what he has to offer, and then and then maybe he's your primary trade target. I don't know if he is or not. I like Schwarber. I still have confidence in the guy, but there is a lot of unknowns there as well, a lot of volatility in his year-to-year performance and at times month-to-month performance. Um, so that that's one thing that I, I, I don't know how they're going to address. With Wilson, I need stability. Catchers do not last. It's just... Again, as simple as that. So I think if I had to pick, if you had to like push me against the wall, make me pick who do I think is the most sensible trade candidate, I would probably say Wilson Contreras. And I know the framing was substantially better in 2020. I love his attitude. He wears his heart on his sleeve. We all know it. He has some of the best power for a catcher we've seen in a long time. But that said... I'm just concerned about some of the volatility. I'm concerned mostly because he's a catcher. And if there's a DH in the league, maybe that changes my opinion. But getting value back for a trade candidate also seems to be the most valuable for Wilson Contreras. So it kind of lines up in my head. Uh, Javi, I, I I don't know, dude. I really don't know about Javi. He's the, one of the better defensive shortstops in the league. I love watching him play shortstop. I think his defense will last. But Again, with the offense, that there's a lot of volatility and unpredictability there as well. I don't think I'm comfortable giving either of, the, either of those guys an extension right now. And I'm actually comfortable shopping all three of them right now. Um, I, I, but again, there's so many ways you can go about doing this, so many permutations that it's almost overwhelming to consider. I don't really know what makes the most sense. I don't know what the market looks like. I don't know how teams are valuing these guys. I don't know. I don't know anything. So... I don't know if that answers your question, but that's that's where I'm at right now. And this is all subject to change once we get more information as the offseason progresses. Uh, this is uh, a long discussion, and luck- I guess luckily or unfortunately, I don't really know. We have plenty of time to talk about <laughs> yeah. it. Um, as I said, I mean, I, I think you have to extend Anthony Rizzo. If that man plays another game for another team, it dead. is an absolute crime. Um so I think that one's really cut and dry. You extend Anthony Rizzo, that's it. Uh, I think the other guys, it's more complicated. And I think the—I'm with you. I, I think that uh, you and I have, I think, been, I would think, on the more fair side towards Kyle Schwarber uh, throughout his career. I think often defending him against people that, A, have thought he's uh, a worse defender than he is, uh, and also against folks who did not see his potential as an offensive player, uh, mostly because they just look at his batting average. Um, but I do think that what I think that he represents a, a a a place where you might be able to diversify this lineup, and that doesn't mean that he isn't a good productive hitter, and that I don't believe in the hitter he has shown to be at times, you know, especially that second half of 2019, and can be. But I think that what this team needs is a diversification in the profiles you see throughout this lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think he, he represents an area where that might be possible. Um, on Bryant and Baez, I, again, I, I think the key is what does an extension look like? I am, I'm not at all, as we've discussed throughout this whole episode, like Javi's not a bottom hitter in the league. It's just not who he is. I know he's got adjustments to make. I know he has some bad tendencies, right? He always has. Uh, but 
that's just not who he is. Uh, and well, we're talking about extensions here, right? Yes, like that may yeah, not no. be who and he is. So, but who is he then? Well, that's yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is it depends if Javi and his camp want whatever they think an extension should look like after the 2018 season when he was the runner-up of the MVP. I can't do it, right? Yeah. I just can't do it. The the team is not in a safe enough spot for me to feel confident in that. If he's more amenable to something that is kind of taking, you know, that that peak into account, but also the rest of the sample that we have, I'm 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 very into that. Um and, you know, he's obviously become one of the faces of the team. He's electric and he can carry this team and his defense is phenomenal, right? He's one of the most exciting players in the league. Uh but right now I I can't do some sort of, you know, seven plus year contract that pays him like an a perennial MVP because I, I I I just can't. Uh and I think the same thing with Chris Bryant. If you had asked me three years ago, I would have given him a blank check and I would have done a, a hundred years for whatever he wrote, uh, you know, as the salary, right? But I can't do that now. And it's it's equally tr- it's it's for different reasons, but it's equally true of both of them that I believe in both of them as much as one can. But there's just stuff that we, you know, you can't be confident in because you just can't know. I don't know why Chris seems to rack up these nagging injuries and why they seem to affect him more than they do for other people. But you can't pretend that that isn't a thing. And for the millionth time, right? Don't call him soft or anything like that because that's not what it that's not what it is, right? But it happens and it's affected his performance and it's happened for the last few years in a row. And so if him and his camp are trying to get paid like the 2016 MVP, you know, that was a top, you know, the top player in the National League, one of the best players in the league, I can't do it right now. If he's willing to meet you somewhere else, then I'm I'm into it. Uh, but you just can't ignore these things. And the team is in such a spot and the financials are in such a spot that you have to be pretty careful with some of this stuff. And I think that's why, that's part of the reason that I feel, and I think you feel, Rizzo's such a no-brainer. Obviously, he's going to age, right? Like, uh, duh. But his profile and the way that he has consistently produced throughout his career and the ways that he has produced, I I just, th- there's nothing to me that I can't be confident in with him, aside from, you know, natural aging and regression and stuff like that, which is going to happen to anybody. But with KB and Javi, they're, you know, for again, for different reasons, like there's just stuff that I, I can't say with 100% certainty, like I know Chris Bryant is going to be healthy in the 2021 season and beyond. Or I know that Javi is going to make those adjustments and he's not going to be as susceptible to some of the holes that we saw in 2020 and stuff like that. I'm just not positive of that. So that's where I am with those guys. It all depends on what they are looking for in terms of years and dollars. 
And again, in other in other points in their careers, I really wouldn't have cared. Obviously, you you know, there's a limit, but like I would have been like, yo, lock him up, <laughs> right? Like, do whatever you want, whatever they want, just lock him up. We need this guy forever. With Contreras, I'm not so much with you. I'm always wary. Like, you know, I I I know where you're coming from. Like, I think just because of how he's performed, the the value might be the most there, but I'm always just concerned with who's doing the catching then. Well, I have um, no solution to that. I, that's not, you know, it's not what I'm, what, I, what I'm trying to, to say. It's like, yes, if you want to, ex- like in 2021, of course, Wilson makes sense. But if we're talking that we have to pick three or two of these extension candidates, sure. I have an issue with extending a catcher. It's just that sure. that's what I'm that's talking fair. about. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, so that's, that's where I am. Um, and you know, obviously these decisions don't happen in a vacuum. So if you're looking at a situation where the option is you can extend one or two or three of these guys and then do nothing else, uh, or you can extend one of them and then have some money to fill some other holes. It's, it's hard to answer that, right? Because I, 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 we don't know that. But in a general sense, I would say that, you know, I am confident in these guys. I believe in a lot of these guys, and I think that the a mix of these players can make up a good offense. We've seen it, right? Like, we've seen these guys be successful. But I do think that after what we've seen for the past few years— you have to try to find a way to diversify things, right? I think that there's a lot of extremes that you see out in in some of the analysis and just some of the thinking, you know, that this offense is a mess. You got to blow it up completely and it should look like a completely different team in 2021. You know, like eight, eight of the nine guys should be different or, you know, something like that, right? And that's too extreme, right? Like, just because these guys have the holes that they do or we've seen them uh, fall apart at times doesn't mean that it can't work. You just need to find different ways to change things up a little bit. And I think diversify the profile, get in guys who are not susceptible to those same problems and to those same pitchers and to those same types of repertoires and, and stuff like that, right? I think that's the key. How you exactly go about that is a, a, a tougher discussion, right? But I, I I think there is a balance that you can find there. And I, I think that I'm comfortable with a lot of these guys being a part of the long-term plans. Just depends on what terms, right? And I know that's kind of vague, but that's, you know, kind of what we have here. So I think that's the key. It's 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 complicated, and I, I kind of wish that we had, you know, kind of a more, like, direct, here's A, you know, point A, point B, point C, and here's how we're going to get there. But unfortunately, like, there's a lot of other variables that you'd have to consider, as, as I kind of always say, like, these decisions don't happen in a vacuum. Um, but Again, the, the, these this is these are large conversations, right? So, uh, I, I I trust all of you as as our loyal listeners, but try to remember, like Brendan and I can't get out every thought that we have. We can't flesh out every nuance and detail of a discussion like this, uh, you know. And so, especially when we talk about someone like Javi and his twenty twenty, like I I hope that you know 
some of you out there aren't like thinking we're being too hard on him or that we're, you know, we we think he stinks or anything like that cuz it's it's just like there's a lot to get through, right? There's a lot of nuance here and unless we spent the entire hour talking about one player, we can't get everything out. So you you know, <laughs> Which I we probably I will that, at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I it, it's all just to say like if we didn't say something or we didn't cover something or if there's a stone that we left unturned, like we probably know and we probably agree with you. Like there's just not always a a runway to get every single nuance to these discussions. Uh out there, I, I think is what I wanted to say. And maybe this is a, a longer question, and I know you're going to get mad at me because we're running a little long here, Brendan, but I I'm going to yeah. do it anyway right, because it. I can. The mic is hot, and I feel like doing it. Do it. Uh, you have been an outspoken critic okay. of Anthony Iaposi, so I don't <laughs> yeah. need you to go into everything in terms of philosophy and all that other stuff, but as we're talking about the offense in kind of a, a shortened way, we've seen a lot of turnover in the coaching staff. We've seen a lot of turnover in the hitting coach position. As we go into this offseason, are you looking to make another change, or are you comfortable giving Iaposi more time here. I feel like I've been saying I don't know the entire podcast, but I, I truly mean that. Like I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all I all I know is what we watch and what my fangraphs webpage tells me. And what my fangraphs webpage tells me is that for some reason, Rizzo, Schmorber, everyone for most of the season were not swinging at pitches. And we've heard David Ross We've heard the hitters talk about grinding at bats, but in doing so, they are just being passive. They were being passive. Where that comes from, maybe it is Iaposi, maybe it's not. Does that mean I want him gone? Maybe it does. If I knew more about it, I don't know. But I don't like what I saw. And so if Iaposi is the guy to change that, and this was a weird anomaly that can be addressed, and Iaposi has a precedence that he can do this, then sure bring him back. There is another side to this, and the other side is another unknown. Justin Stone, right? He's the director of hitting for the Cubs. What was his role in 2020? Did he have a significant role? Could he have had a significant role because of COVID? I don't know. Do Justin Stone and Iaposi line up eye to eye because Iaposi has been with the Cubs since, what, 2014, besides that one or two year hiatus with Texas? Are they in line? I don't know. We've seen guys, coaches from that era, move on. We've seen Eric Hinsky move on. We've seen John Malley move on, right? I, I don't I don't know. I want someone in this team, in, in the coaching staff, whatever, to be innovative, to take the next step, to get these guys to a point where they're hitting pitches that the Padres are hitting, that the Dodgers are hitting. And I, we haven't seen that. They haven't adapted at that at that pace we needed. And is that because of Iaposi? I think my frustration was targeted there because it seemed so obvious. The the passivity seemed so obviously targeted towards Iaposi. But truly, I do not know. If they end up firing him, okay, I'll be on board. If they end up bringing him back, I don't know, I may question it a little bit, but there's a, a huge degree of uncertainty that I can't confidently give you an answer, Corey. And sometimes when you're when you're emotional and you see all this stuff and you see Iaposi uh, talked about 
grinding at bats, it, 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 it grinds my gears a little bit. Um, so I don't know. I want to hear more about what Justin Stone could do for 2021. Hopefully we'll get more content in the offseason and what maybe he did with the Cubs in 2020, similar to what we got from Craig Breslow and his staff and how we talked about that last week. But that's where I'm at. I don't know. doesn't make for good radio or podcast, whatever you want to call this. But truly, I do not know. Well, nothing we do is good radio, Brendan. I don't know why anybody Well, stuff I do is good radio. Maybe not you, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm with you. It, it's obviously something that is is hard to, you know, know exactly where you're laying praise or blame, right? Yeah. Like, so it, it it's it's hard. My, my thought on it would be, I, I know what you mean. I mean, and I think it's easy to, especially, like, to look at, again, to go back to someone like Javi, like, you know, I oppose he's the hitting coach. Like, this is obviously a drastic season we saw from Javi, like, I don't want to see that again. If that has something to do with what Iaposi's philosophy is, then that's a big deal, right? Uh, but I, I think it's it's also a situation where you got to be careful, right? That would be a lot of hitting coaches in a small window, and it's dangerous. Uh, I think as anybody who's played a sport or if you've worked in sports or, you know, even like been a part of any organization, right? Like I think you know that constant change is really difficult to adapt to. Um, and if the message is wrong, if the philosophy is wrong, then it needs to happen. But at the same time, constantly trying to get these guys or some of these guys in different approaches and different mindsets and all that other stuff is in its own way a hindrance to progress, right? Yeah. Even if you've got – you and and it's also – you've tried this multiple times, what's to say they would get it right, right? Uh, so it's it's dangerous is all I'm saying. To continue kind of searching for that right answer is a dangerous yeah, I agree. way to go. I mean, you want consistency, right? Like that was, yeah. that's one of the issues I have talking about moving on from Theo. It's like, all right, well, I kind of like what they're doing with Craig Breslow and, and that pitching infrastructure despite Theo's, you know, limitations over the years. So I... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I want consistency, but I want the right type of consistency. And if you can't get that right type of consistency, then you got to keep searching for it somehow. And maybe they still have to go out and, and find a different hitting coach to, to get that consistency ultimately. Yeah, I agree. So again, uh, there's a lot to cover. There's a lot of nuance here and we will uh, delve into all of it. We've got plenty of time unfortunately. But again, kind of with these couple episodes, just kind of setting the table, touching on some of these things, touching on some of these guys, laying the groundwork for where we might see things go. The ultimate conclusion, though, that I want to end on, and I, I know we're over the hour mark, so if if folks don't hear this, it, you know, is not exactly uh, great. But the overall conclusion I would land on is that despite its struggles at times, this is a very this offense has a lot of talent within it. There are a lot of players on this team and a lot of players that are for sure under contract for the 2021 season that are very talented and can make up a successful offensive group. I think that what has become clear over the last couple of years is that the similarities in approaches and profiles for a good number of these guys is often exploited by opposing teams and opposing pitching staffs 
to the detriment of the Cubs, obviously, right? Does that make them awful? Does that make it impossible for them to succeed? No, right? So we got to calm down with some of this like doom nature that I think goes on in some of the talks. There's a lot of talent within this group. And if they are they able to make those supplemental changes to kind of diversify things, to uh, strengthen the lineup in ways that it doesn't currently have? Maybe, maybe not, right? But I think that, again, especially given that this is not a talented division, this is not a division where you are looking up at some other team and thinking, boy, like, good luck catching this group, right, at the very least, you, you've got the pieces to make this work. What is the key of this offseason, as Brendan alluded to earlier, is what types of moves are you making and are they geared either exclusively toward winning in 2021 or are they geared toward winning either in 2021 and beyond or just beyond? And that's something we're going to have to see how all of that plays out. But for as much as we've seen this group struggle at times, for as much as the the offense not being there has blatantly, obviously, no way to deny it, right, been the downfall of this team and cost them in the playoffs multiple times, right? This is not a group that is devoid of talent. This is not a group that cannot be maneuvered into being a successful group and a team and a group that can carry this team to another division title and to another playoff appearance it's it's and this has been the case for a couple years now it's about plugging some of those holes i think diversifying some things and changing things up in a way that that cover up and plug some of those holes that are exploited and We've seen them try to do that in some of these past off-seasons with moves that felt more like half measures, right? And a lot of them didn't work. Uh, What we'll see in this one, I don't know. But I, I think that, you know, the idea that you need some sort of massive overhaul to this offensive group to be successful in 2021, you know, that is only possible through spending like $200 million, I, you know, that's, I, I don't think that's right. There's talent here. There is a a successful group in here, obviously, right? Like, look at how the Cubs have performed for six years. Uh, it's it's just going to be about what are those moves, if there are any, uh, and if there aren't, I think then you get more into that discussion that we sort of ended off on with the hitting infrastructure and the coaching staff in in terms of how can you take this group and try to address some of those exploitable holes. I don't know if you can, because they've been trying to do it for quite some time, Uh, but then that would be a different discussion. So it's all just to say, it's not the worst place to be. I know there's a lot of of doom and gloom out there, uh, and, you know, the 2020 season didn't end how we wanted. The 2019 season and 2018 season didn't end how we wanted. Uh, and a lot of that was laid at the feet of the offense. Uh, so that is the, I think, most important thing we're going to see in this offseason and the most important decisions that they're going to make. Uh, but just want to, you know, keep keep it 
on a somewhat positive level because, you know, again, like this team did just win the division. They won a lot of games with a lot of these players. And so it's it's not some impossible task uh, for 2021 is, is, is all I really want to say. Brendan and I do not have a specific plan for next week. Uh, we will see, obviously, where things are with the World Series and the offseason and, and all of that stuff. Uh, but I would expect, you know, similar conversations, just kind of looking at what we're hearing from the Cubs, what we're hearing from the front office, and the direction that seem, things seem to be going in this offseason. As always, if something comes up uh, sooner than we next speak with you guys, we will jump on and we will cover it. I don't think that's going to happen, uh, but we'll see. Uh, so as always, we thank you guys for joining us. Thank you guys for supporting us. And thank you guys for listening to the Cubs Related Podcast. And as always, whether uh, we are watching a World Series that does not feature them, uh, or we are, as always, watching highlights of the 2016 World Series, which the Chicago Cubs won, we always yeah, end by saying, go Cubs. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.